I'm here to tell you that I saw the first Guardians movie for the first time in a weird uh, movie theater that was a liminal... Mikey, it was a liminal space. That's probably what happened. It was a liminal space. It was a liminal space. Also, I still don't know, like, how my tires ended up all fucked. That's also That also happened. Like, I left the hotel that we were staying at, which was just a hotel in the middle of, like, a strip mall. It'd be like that sometimes. It was a nice hotel. It was not, there wasn't anything wrong with the hotel itself. No. But then when I left, my tires were like messed up the whole way back. There was a strip of road that had two sheets on it. And I, what I was doing is I got like a can of stuff that you spray into your tires to seal any cracks as like a last ditch attempt so you can get to somewhere. And I took I took a can of that and would do one tire and I'd drive down to the sheets on the other side of the road and then I'd get another can and I'd drive back to the other the first sheets and oh like I God. did this like four four times oh because God. like my tires kept like leaking and the tire pressure was really low because sheets also has free air. So like I'd air them up and I'd drive back and the tire pressure would still not be where it was supposed to be. And so I was just like, I don't know what the fuck is going on. But then magically once I got home and parked it, everything was fine. Something similar happened to us literally yesterday. We got a car to go grocery shopping. When Sam got in the car, the tire pressure was low so she put in air. Had it at like whatever 35 and then when we got to the grocery store after 10 minutes the tires were already like starting to sag and we went and did the air again and it had dropped from like 35 psi or whatever the fuck it is to 20 and it's just like why Ugh. why yeah bad i was gonna say mikey the only other explanation for your tires being low i was gonna say it was probably the ghost of grant morrison but he's not dead so it can't be <laughs> it's the ghost of his character from the my chem video I think Grant Morrison could be a ghost if he wanted to. He could ask to project into my tires and <laughs> cause anger. I'm just picturing Grant Morrison sitting down to start his day going, well, today, today I'm going to, that's actually what his Green Lantern's about. I don't know if you guys do. <laughs> what color lantern is that? Um, well, yellow is greed and red is rage. So orange. Yeah. <laughs> Just to take over an entire town, like create a town out of thin air and also tires. <laughs> Oh, that's Cassandra Nova. That's just Cassandra Nova. <laughs> okay. Uh, that, you know, this all checks out. Cassandra Nova, my OC, TM, TM, do not steal, uh, says Grant Morrison. <laughs> Wait, no, if, it's, if we're going OC, do not steal, it's Phantom X. That's true. But Phantom it's... X is a good boy. Sometimes? Sometimes. Listen, the Phantom X that matters to me is the Phantom X that rescued Evan and mm -hmm. is his uncle and... And based Evan's entire childhood off of Superman? Yes. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I had forgotten about that until I had opened up Wolverine and the X-Men today. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, segue, we should get into it. 
and welcome to The Young Ones, a podcast all about teen superhero teams and why we love them. My name is Charlie, and I use they-them pronouns. I'm Mikey, and I use he-him pronouns. And I'm Reed, and I use they-them pronouns. And you've heard Reed, but also, this is episode 34. (laughs) Oh, I forgot that that's how that works. Yeah. (laughs) No, Charlie's always the one that says it, so don't Okay, Okay, cool. Yes, it just, we just, I just tried to play leapfrog now, because it's like I'm... (laughs) With two other people, so now I have to, like, come back. But this is episode 34. Yeah. Reed is now a, per- a permanent installation in our podcast. Yes, I <laughs> I came, I saw, I conquered, and now I'm here. Yes. Yeah, the residency has, has become a permanent thing. <laughs> or semi-permanent. It's because Reed's delightful, and uh, I want to have them on our podcast all the time. And I'm like, Mikey, who should we get this week to talk to? Should we talk to somebody? And they're like, how about just Reed? And I was like, yeah, (laughs) that tracks. (laughs) That tracks. Also, you you bring a good energy to things. And you You remembered Schism, which I super would not have remembered. (laughs) So thank you for that. You're very welcome. I mean, I was only reading Schism because of my life so you know it'd be like that <laughs> because of my life that's okay i suffered through Breebacher captain america because i wanted to see how the parts i didn't read compared to the films and the answer is badly <laughs> yeah it'd be like that sometimes it'd be like that yeah that's that's my hot take is that the winter soldier arc was incredible for its time in comics but the movie did it better in every possible way and also didn't involve a weird like semi uh child relationship arc mm. it, there's there's some extremely not good things happening in Brewbacher's Captain America from the Winter Soldier arc to and through the death of Captain America i w- would not suggest on rereading um, because it was actually painful. Also, it has it suffers from too many characters. It's like trying to use all the old school Captain America like weird characters in like a spy thriller context, and it super doesn't work. It's just not good. Like it doesn't stand up in a modern context at all. I don't think. Sorry if that's your favorite comic, but I think the thing is is that like if you're looking for the the feeling that the Winter Soldier movie gives you, you don't want to read, like, Captain America the Winter Soldier. You want to read Captain America Man Out of Time. Yeah, for sure. Winter Soldier is just a bunch of weird heterosexuality and bad Nazi (laughs) villains. Like, obviously all Nazis are bad, but these are, like, stereotypical ha-ha funny Nazis, but used in, like, a serious spy thriller, like, Jack Ryan-ish context. And (laughs) it's... Oh my god, 24, but like with Nazis is what you're saying? I wish I was kidding. No, it's more like Tom Clancy. Oh. Like Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan, Tom Clancy's The Division. Wait, that's a game? Yeah. Also, uh, like, it's, it's especially jarring to me. I know I talked about it last week, but like reading the like super corp thriller that The Wildstorm is and then reading Brubacher, it's like, it was like my neck snap from the whiplash because it it, like okay here's what happens the the red skull dies but possesses the ex-soviet head of the cronus corporation 
And so then they like share a body and the Red Skull uses those resources to try to get the Cosmic Cube. So the Cosmic Cube is involved in the Winter Soldier. Also, Steve just magically cures all of Bucky's trauma with the Cosmic Cube. And then he's like, I'm never touching that thing again. Uh, It's not good. And that's before even getting into the completely disgusting um, Brock Rumlow crossbones storyline I alluded to. But anyway, we aren't here to talk about that. So just just as a warning, don't don't be like me, friends. Do not go back and the the stuff after Cap dies with Bucky and Sam is pretty decent, as I remember it. But it's better to remember it than to go back and look. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. 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 That said, if you've got uh, suggestions for good, like actually good Captain America, Bucky, or Sam Wilson stories that don't involve like weird gross subplots like please let me know i guess let, email us let, at youngonescast <laughs> at gmail.com i mean i have one it's the winter soldier the bitter march like that's what you're looking for that's a good spy story it's a six issue mini i haven't read that one it's really good from what i remember so <laughs> go go for it it reads reads good for this from what i remember i read it a couple years ago but it was really good. It was a good spy story. I just want feelings. Yeah, we're not here to talk about that, though. I was trying not to just read fan fiction about Bucky. <laughs> I mean, here's Green. the thing, though. It's better. It's better, though. <laughs> yeah. You're not wrong. No. The epistolary fic you recommended me, I read last night, and I was dying. Oh, Sincerely Your Pal? That's really good. Yeah, yeah that's really good. I also really like Not Easily Conquered by What Are Fears and Drop Dead Daydream. I've like tried to get that one bound. Like I love it that much. Oh, that's like my fanfiction Bible next to my, uh, it's in my drawer next to my bed. <laughs> that's like, yeah. it's like. <laughs> I have a friend who has um, a Remus and Sirius fic that they got like printed on a book and bound. So like. Hell yeah. I had a fanfic for a webcomic that I was working on for the longest time that it, it had its own notebook. And then there was my infamous uh, magnum opus that never ended up being finished because I lost the binder for it. That was like my fanfic binder of resources and like writing. It's called Wings of Steam. It was oh, a boy. Assassin's Creed fanfic set mm-hmm. in... The Victorian era. Oh, boy. Mm-hmm. Mikey. Mikey. Mm-hmm. I had printouts of, like, architecture and rooms. And because it was, like, it was more, like, heist. It was more, like, heist-focused. And I let down, like, hundreds of people on fanfiction.net. So if you read that and you wanted <laughs> it to be finished and you were sad about it, I'm sorry, but I literally lost everything and i i think someone just straight up like took the binder because i looked everywhere for it i was devastated it if was you devastating found, if you found mikey's uh lost fan fiction uh binder uh please, please email, email. Cats at <laughs> i think we just found the album art for the episode it's a missing poster for this binder <laughs> you're not wrong but what, like, we're, here we're not talk here to talk about, about any of the things that other we've just weird about. comics that are probably bad in retrospect. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, they were. Some of them were bad in retrospect to read. Yeah, some of them were. But we're going to talk about, we're actually going to start going through Wolverine and the X-Men, the series by Jason Aaron. The publication date for the first issue is December 2011. Okay. I th- I thought it was 2010. I was a little bit off. I'm wielding a giant omnibus right now. We're going to start kind of diving into that, but we need a little bit of setup first. Yeah, we're going back to our old format. Yeah. What is this? What is this? We're doing like a whole arc of something. But just like we needed a little bit of backstory for the other series we covered, we need a little bit of a backstory for this series before we get into it properly. So We need um, a we prelude, did, if you will. We need a prelude, if, if you will. Um, so we did a little bit of reading. Yes, we did do some reading. Guys, talk to me about the comics that we're, that we're going to be talking about, please. Like, how, how did this series, Wolverine and the X-Men, come about? Yeah. Um, Wolverine and his boyfriend, Cyclops, broke up. <laughs> yeah. In a long, laborious event called Schism. Because editorial mandates and events and selling comic books. hmm Yep. <laughs> we can't just be a happy family forever. I mean, like, as I've talked about, before Schism, in the, like, early aughts, I guess, there wasn't really a lot happening in X-Men comics. Messiah Complex was good. Overall, like, at least to me, like, I would check in with it from time to time, but there just weren't a lot of interesting stories being told in a lot of the X-Men ongoings. Well, it was all all House of M fallout. It was all Decimation stuff. Yeah, for, like, a long time. Meanwhile, you know, there were interesting events happening on the Avengers and even the Spider side, but the stuff that was happening in the X-Men side just... Is the X-Men tying into, like, Avengers events in weird ways? I mean, if I recall, the only other comic book that I would have been if I were reading, actively reading comics that was happening contemporary was, like, the end of Shadowland, so... Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I don't know if, uh... (laughs) Like, Shadowland and Fear itself I, like, completely skipped, because, like, that was when I got burnt out on, like, event comics. But I think, like, Spider Island was happening around the same time the fuck is spider island (laughs) all the spider people were on like manhattan or were like on an island in the middle of manhattan and being spiders so it was survivor it was a survivor au spider island is a 2011 comic book storyline involves the inhabitants of manhattan island mysteriously gaining powers similar to spider-man and then it laid the groundwork for the second volume of the Scarlet Spider series, which I don't know why we needed I'm that. I'm sure everybody read that. Yeah. The only reason I tried to read it at all was because Anya Corazon was in it. That was, like, literally the only reason. Uh, but, like, Cloak and Dagger and Heroes for Hire was also, like, tied in. I don't know. It was a weird time for Marvel altogether, I think. Kind I of, yeah. 2011 was a weird time for us all, I think, possibly. I feel- yeah, I feel like that's also true. I think they were really struggling after, like, Secret Invasion to find a footing. Mm-hmm. I mean, that makes sense to me. Secret Invasion, I don't think, was a very successful event. Then they did the heroic era after that, which is like, no Marvel events at all, ever. 
And of course, like that wasn't going to last. And then Siege happened, which was really good. But then. Oh, you know what happened? You know what happened in 2011 that would have affected Marvel marketing? Thor came out, Captain America, the first Avenger came out and X-Men first class came out. Ah, yeah. Yeah. That'll do it. That'll do it. Yeah, that makes sense, because I think Schism was like an attempt to try to. I think Schism was an attempt to make a to make the line entry level again. Yeah, which, in my opinion, like super didn't work for a variety of reasons that we'll talk about. Yeah, no, I think the only the only place it worked is Wolverine and the X-Men, and it didn't work if you were already reading the comics. Um, so funny story. Wolverine and the X-Men, I got really mad about the characterization of Kitty Pride in the first issue because I was like, oh, I'll give it a shot. Like, this is a new jumping on point. And I got really mad about her characterization. And I was like, who the fuck is this Kill- Cade Kilgore fuck? And I, like, didn't throw it in the garbage, actually. I still own it. <laughs> but metaphorically, I threw it in the garbage. So it just super did not work for me. I think um, Wolverine and the X-Men was the first full-on X-Men comic that I read, but it wasn't at the publishing time. It was a couple years ago. No, it wasn't even a couple years ago. It was last year. I just hard, I just mainlined, like, 70 X-Books last year. I mean, that's what happens, <laughs> right? That's, that's just what happens. But I read it because my best friend was like, okay, but you are Quentin Quire? And I was like, <laughs> oh, where, where is this fucker from? And that was, like, the longest book with yeah. him in it, so. That's the one you'd want to pick up anyway. But rereading it now, like after spending a year mainlining X books, is different. Yeah, it's different. Yeah, yeah. it's different. Yeah, it's different. Sure is different. Um. <laughs> so yeah, it was Secret Invasion, Dark Reign, Siege, Heroic Age, which was like the it lasted like it didn't even last a year. Is the non-events <laughs> event? Yeah, no, it was it was really quick. It was like, we're not going to do events for a long time. And then it only lasted a year. And also they like canceled a bunch of the books that they introduced into it. And then they spun into fear itself. And I was like, I don't even know what this is. I'm tired. I'll try to read an X-Men book. Because I was seeing all these titles with Schism. And I was just like, "Mm, don't know about this. And then saw Wolverine (laughs) and the X-Men. And I was like, hmm, that looks interesting. I like I like X-Men. I like Wolverine. Like that looks like some it's a number one. Like maybe I can understand what's going on <laughs> finally. And then no, nope. I I well, not only that, but then like I understand where it's coming from now. But I really do think that the like first issue does Kitty Pride a large disservice in terms of characterization. But I think like knowing now that the X-Men had been through some shit. Gives that some additional, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little bit, yeah. So, so what bit. is what is schism? Read what did what, uh, how did all this happen? Okay, so um, a couple things happened. Uh, this is af like it depends on how you go- read schism because there's a book that's titled Prelude to Schism that <laughs> doesn't make sense. Um, no, it's a great book. It's a really good character study of Scott Summers, but. The whole gist of the book is that the entire X-Men are waiting for this thing to come, this big cataclysmic event, and everyone is, like, watching it approach Utopia, and they're waiting for Cyclops to say what they're going to do, except 
then the thing never comes because schism starts and everyone's like normal. (laughs) Um, It's like the apocalypse is coming. Oh, wait, not really. Yeah. And you get the impression like reading prelude to schism that they're talking about the phoenix coming, which would have been fine if schism started with like the phoenix is here. But I think it takes like a year after schism for phoenix to like show back up. Yeah. Um. And so basically schism, the deal is, is that there's some new teens around the X, around Utopia because of Generation Hope and like the five lights and shit. Yeah. So so uh, to briefly explain that. So there had been no more mutants for a while. So the Mm -hmm. mutants that like after House of M, a bunch of mutants had been depowered and there were only 200 powered mutants left in the world. And most of them were on this island of Utopia that is off the coast of California. Yeah, it's in San Francisco Bay. Yeah, it's a big rock. It's Asteroid M. It's Asteroid M, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but they keep describing it in various books as a big rock, which was really amusing to me. (laughs) This big rock we're just sitting on. The teens don't have any, like, they don't, what the fuck is Asteroid M? We're just living on a rock. So, M day, no more mutants, and then one mutant is born. And she's Hope. Yep, Hope Summers. And uh, Cable raises her in the future. They come back. And uh, she gets her mutant power. Yeah, which is... It's like power emulation and control, but not in the same way that Rogues is, where she just like takes people's powers from them. It's like a mimicry thing. She's able to yeah. tap into people's mutant powers and not only can she gain them and use them but she can like manipulate their usage in other people like either to like stop them from using their power it's it's basically whatever the plot needs it to be she's a little op her her mutant power is protagonist yeah (laughs) (laughs) from the way i understand it her blanket mutation is that she can do power mimicry but then the five new mutants because of however, like, the mutation is working, her power is the only thing that, like, stabilizes. Yeah, well, she also has a bit of the phoenix in her as well, which is more <laughs> OP plot device stuff. Yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, we're, like, she has, like, some kind of phoenix shard in her that is also enabling her to, like, spark these new mutations and mutants. That I'm still, honestly, after reading most of Generation Hope and, like, having read Age of X, still doesn't make any goddamn sense. But, again, that the I think that's that'll be a recurring theme in this episode. I think it would have made more sense now, if that makes sense, because the Phoenix Shard wasn't, like, a thing when Hope was first introduced. But so if that language was there... Then yeah. it would be like, it would make so much more sense. It wasn't even codified. It was just like, she has this vague connection to the Phoenix. Yeah. 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 And that, and they continued to tease that because, you know, yeah, which is a, funny because like yeah. the Phoenix was at this point thought to be dead because of Phoenix and song, right? Like the Phoenix was gone. Yeah. Yeah. Supposedly. Which Phoenix and song is another. So, um, the, <laughs> the, the person that is partially responsible or thought oh, to be yeah. responsible for for the schism 
is Kate, like this kid called Cade Kilgore, who we'll go into more later. But now just know that there is a 12 year old prodigy named Cade Kilgore broke this other teenager named Quentin Quire out <laughs> to attack the UN. <laughs> OK, so here's the other thing, though. Quentin Quire got broken out. But the last time we had heard from Quentin Quire, Quentin wasn't corporeal correct he had been a sentient he had been a sentient mist in a jar for quite a long yeah. time so speaking of phoenix and song <laughs> that we literally saw quentin choir as mist in a jar and then was sparked with the phoenix made into a person and then like tried to resurrect one of the cuckoos from the grave only to be like dissolved again if I'm remembering correctly? Yes. Yeah. And, and Quentin got the, dissolved because he took too many drugs? Yeah. Uh, <sighs> Quentin originally took too much kick, which jump-started yeah, his... Yeah, we're, like, working our way backward. Quentin Quire was a character introduced by Grant Morrison in his new X-Men as a teenage terror and leader of the Omega Gang, one of Quentin's AKAs at the time, was Kid Omega. And so he was a teenage telepath orphan. I was a teenage telepath orphan, sorry. <laughs> I had to do that. That he had been adopted slash taken into the Xavier school by Charles Xavier. And Xavier had this idea of raising Quentin in his own image, which Quentin super did not like. Um, super did not like Plot how... twist, Xavier trying to raise a child in his own image bit him in the ass. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> because that had never happened before. So there, there have been some meme... Quentin has extremely, like, punk of the era, like, late 90s attire in that book, and that is what his function is. Is like, Magneto was right, like, counterculture, fuck the man. I don't want to do any of your assimilationist bullshit, Charles Xavier. I want to start riots and fight for mutant rights and be just like Magneto. And then take drugs. And take drugs because I'm in a Grant Morrison comic. <laughs> yep. But I'm yep. Am I wrong? You're not yep. wrong. No, that's You're it. Yeah. That's, that's it. That's it. Quinn's got Grant Morrison disease in New X. <laughs> yeah. I just want to say, anyone that calls Quentin, like, a Nazi or alt-right, like, is ignoring the context, like, that that book was in and the time that it was in. The other thing that really bothers me about people who are like, oh, well, Quentin Quire is, like, alt-right dude bro or whatever, is, like, first of all, the context of the fact that, like, Quentin is an oppressed minority who is arguing against assimilationist methodologies. And also, like... If you really want to read Quentin in a, in a bad way, there are plenty of, like, leftist, anarchist bro types who are also pains in my ass, but aren't, like, fucking mm -hmm. Nazis. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like, if you want to look at Quentin's haircut and think that he's a Nazi because of two, it's 2019, like, I need, you to take, I need you to take a seat, and then I need you to take another seat, and then I need you to lay down, because... Well, that's... He, and that's, that's why I bring up, like, the punk... Yeah. Well, too. yeah, because Quentin like, is super, like, I'm sorry, but if anyone looks at Quentin Quire's character design, like, well, 
okay, he starts out in Grant Morrison's run as like a very like nerdy normcore kid and then gets mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. punk aestheticism or whatever. Yeah, and then he gets a phone call from his parents and they tell him he's adopted. Yeah. Yeah, he starts out having like normal brown hair and a sweater vest. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. But so here's the thing his sense of style is so queer coded that like it literally pains me to hear people be like, oh, well, he's just such a dude bro dick. And like, yeah, he kind of is, but his entire aestheticism is so deeply like, this is exactly what like, and I'm going to say this as someone who was that and still is that in a lot of ways, like a Tumblr queer trans person. Like the pink mohawk, the the mm-hmm. buttons, the t-shirts, like it's... The denim vest. Yeah. Like, like it's all yeah. there. Well, and, and punk, like punk the style was like something that the punk clubs of like California and like the West Coast and the East Coast, because I think there there was like a West Coast, East Coast rivalry there, if I don't, if um, I remember correctly. So this is actually something that I kind of academically specialize in. God bless. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. So, um, punk aestheticisms definitely grow out of, uh, and punk music grow out of queerness and, like, an interesting queerness. Um, New York punk is significantly older than, like, West Coast punk. Um, and, like, the, the studded brouhaha is a significantly, like, that's a West Coast punk sensibility. Um, but the early, the early punk bands of the West Coast are, like, there are some queer ones, but like it is mostly like a bro culture. But the thing is, is that it's like it's largely born out of working class communities and like a dissatisfaction with performative normalness of the mm-hmm. Cold War. But yeah, it's 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 a it's a look that is frequently associated with queerness. Yeah. As I understand it, like punk has always almost always been like anti-Nazi as well. Uh, not, I mean, yes, but also there are definitely like skinhead punks that have existed. And so to be like punk is, I mean, the the thing, uh, fuck off Nazi punks is a thing. Yes, yes, yes. No, like, yes, that's, that's kind of like what I'm referring to. Yeah, no, no, no. Like, I I do think that punk as a movement is inherently anti-Nazi, but I don't want to be anachronistic and be like that, say that punk has always been anti-nazi when that's not true yeah because the skinhead movement was definitely yeah and that's valid nazi punks fuck off like that song comes out of a period where nazi punks were going to those basement shows and like destroying people and so that's like it's a super reactionary song and like movement that had to grow out of punk being co-opted by nazis yeah thank you reed thank you for the education thank you yeah. yeah, I said God bless because like I vaguely know about some of that stuff, but I'm like out of my depth to talk about this is, it. This is we got an expert on the depth, show. So we got an expert sure. on the show yeah. now, so so it's a it's a yeah, it's, it's yeah. gonna happen. But in in any case, Quentin Quires he is he has trappings and like the ideology of a movement that is at that point like pretty squarely anti-authority mm-hmm. and anti-normy and anti-Nazi and may or may not be queer coded depending on like what era you're looking at so like to think of him in the context of today is i think 
doing a disservice both to where Morrison is coming from with that character and who that character became. Yeah. Because like, to call Quentin Quire a self-centered Nazi comic book character is, like, the worst... Po- like, I don't even think the text, like, supports that read at all. I don't think it does no. either. And I think that, like, I think what's irritating about it is that it, it just doesn't fit. And there are so many other fucking, like... I don't know. He... Quentin Quire's whole social media savvy, like anti-authoritarian movement, is so decidedly lefty. Yeah, and there's yeah. so many, there's so many worse kids. Like, I, I mean, yeah. I'll just go out, I'll just go out and say that, like, Morrison never meant for that character to move past what happened. Like, Quentin dissolves into mist at the end of like his arc in new x-men and like i 100 percent believe we were never supposed to hear from that character again but you this, know, is the X-Men. this is the x-men this is this is the x-men and that's like like strings that people pick up so like maybe you didn't expect like that character to come back but once they do, like, and you move forward with them, like, I'm very much not for, um, there's a lot of individuals that seem to want to blame the characters for the actions that they take. Yeah, but this is fiction. And one, they're, and one, they're, they're fiction. Two, it's completely possible in an ongoing, like, comics like superhero narrative for like characters to become something different from what they were and whenever i see a bad character beat from a character that i genuinely enjoy most of the time i tend to be like i i don't agree with that read of the character and i think i'm just gonna blame the person writing them and not just decide that the character is apparently um responsible for all the (laughs) actions yeah like honestly i i think like Quentin's publication history as it is now, like you you can ignore the latter half of that Morrison arc. Like I and I think Jason Aaron and later Jason Latour like work really hard to like it's just never brought up again, right? No. No, you ne you you never do well, the only the last person to bring up what happened to, in New X Men was Christina Strain in Generation X. Yeah. Which which I think was done well. I agree. And I think that like, I think Right at, right at Xavier's is iconic for a lot of different reasons. I th- I know people love Grant Morrison's new X-Men. I'm not one of those individuals. I know I it's good Xavier's comics. Xavier's is a whole thing, but also I think the other element that we have to consider, too, when talking about these, specifically anything that has to do with youth books, and particularly youth in X-Men, is that they're school kids. And, like... Pushing yeah. back against authority in a school setting is so commonplace and like exactly what teenagers do and like do teenagers um do exactly what the students do at Ryan and Xavier's? No. But do they yeah. cause all kinds of shit at school? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like they also like also kids at school may or may not be on a mutant drug that's actually a sentient virus 
Yeah, but like as as we've talked about before, like unfortunately that was a plot device that was just on vogue at the time. Oh yeah, for, for better or for worse in comics, the early two yeah. thousand story. And I think I think we've moved past that as well. But I I I think absolving like whether you like Quentin as a character or not, um, and whether you like the direction, whether you take Morrison's direction with him as like the defining character the defining arc of that character or not i think at the very least one thing we can say about quentin is i think his history and arc as a character is different from someone like dokken who's like pretty clearly meant to be a villain and then people like woobify him for lack of a better term it's like oh dokken my sweet child and it's like you can say that, but also please acknowledge he's a murderer <laughs> that does bad things. Whereas, like, I don't think Quentin is ever meant to be, like, evil-hearted or, like, a villain. I think yeah. the other thing with comparing Quentin to Dokken is um, that while Dokken has, like, people have done attempts to give him, like, nuance and depth and, like, not necessarily redeem him, but, like whatever like quentin has had a lot more for lack of better phrasing screen time like developing Mm. like we meet quentin as like a teenager who is gonna learn how to be an adult and like the problem with quentin is that people keep putting him back into okay you're in school you're gonna learn how to not be a dick bag you're in school you're gonna learn how to not be a dick bag which is like a whole other issue but docking like appears as a, a young adult and, like, continues to be an adult. Like, Dawkins never put back into school, like... Yeah, this is how we learn to share. Yeah. 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 And, yeah, and and yeah. I think, like, that's why the context matters, too, is, like, Dawkins will always, um, like, unfortunately because... Like, I think trying to rehabilitate Dokken is an ultimately fruitless exercise because the role that he serves in story and, like, his whole background was created to be, like, a villain background. Like, you'd have to... You'd have to complete... Like, if if someone wanted to, like, fix that, they'd have to completely have an entire, like, series devoted to that and then hope to God that it sticks after the fact. And I don't see that happening. Like, I don't... And I don't see the whole, like, everything. Like, yeah, it's, yeah. I just I just point that out because that was, like, the first thing that came to mind of, like, a, a character that's around the same time that that has also done some bad things, but that I see overall being, like, for better or for worse, being, like, a, a overall more villainous like and the intent is different like i don't think quentin like intends to harm people um but yeah yeah i don't want to sorry for like if i belabored that point or anything but yeah no i think i think it's a good point of comparison um yeah i agree i agree i also really like docking a lot as a character so like that's no, I mean, and it's and it's yeah, it's, and that's it, yeah, it's I okay, to, I, and it's I do okay. also. Yeah, yeah, no, he's just like you have to acknowledge who your garbage gremlin children are, and like, yeah, I like I like Dokken in spite of who he is, not because of it, or if that makes any sense. Like, there I, you go. 
I like him. I I I like what he he could be in my mind that I know he will never be on the page. Whereas, like for me, Quentin is like well, again. Yeah. Aside from like he's he's he tries. Like, we've seen on him. Page. We've seen him get to spread his wings. I, I mean, think that that's, all a, that's a good way to phrase it, though. Like you like Duncan for what he could be versus Quentin. Like Quentin's story is inherently always going. At least right now, the way that comics have been going is it's always going to be the story of him learning how to be a person. Yeah. There's potential for that story with Dokken, but it's never going to happen in a satisfying way. Yeah, correct. It's, you know, we, we, we see the snippets of what other what people want to, to show us and, and then we'll go backwards or forwards based on, you know, what happens after that. But all of that to say, Quentin Quire is maybe kind of complicated in a certain way. Not sure why he was missed for a while. I mean, I still don't really get it. Um, but he was. <laughs> it's never made again, it's I it's never made clear how he became not missed and honestly I don't want to know. I don't want the secret <laughs> story of how how Cade Kilgore made Quentin Quire into a real boy. Like that <laughs> this is exactly the amount of comic book bullshit that's needed to bring someone back into the story and I prefer to not see it on okay. page. I know what it so, is. So, all right. So, schism. We have schism. the X-Men living in the utopia. Quentin Quire is demystified. <laughs> and literally and metaphorically. So, yeah. uh Scott and Logan go to the UN to say, hey, please don't use Sentinels. And real boy Quentin shows up and uh, decides that the revolution will not be televised. It will be telepathic and uh, causes an international incident at the UN, resulting in people to unleash their Sentinels as one does. Yeah, it all kind of comes to a head in San Francisco because a museum there is having a mutant history it's, exhibit. It's it's the opening of the Mutant History Museum in San Francisco. Yeah. They have their opening night. And Hope isn't with the team because she decides to go on a date. So Hope and uh, Velocidad, who was her, her date, go off and then Idy or Oya, Lori or Transonic, who's just a blue girl who go real fast. Oya's <laughs> powers are that she can take heat from things and make them cold and take cold from things and make them hot. She's fire nice, literally. She's even got like a whole left hand, right hand duality thing going on. I actually love her power set a lot. And she has no idea, like she is doesn't have any concept of like mutants. Yeah, the issue with ID is that there's a lot of <laughs> racist tropes that are uh-huh that yeah. exist within id's story where she's like from africa the, the country you know the country africa <laughs> it's all one place africa they do make a mention of like like she's supposed to be from nigeria oh i don't even it's been a long time transonic makes some mention because, like, when she picks her code name, it's like, aren't you from this place and aren't you also Christian? Because her code name is um, our Yoruba goddess. And she's like, yeah, but that's also... Yeah, so the gist it is... fits for me for some reason, and I'm like, mm, I, don't, mm, I don't know about that I one. I think the gist with that is basically, like, 
And again, this is obviously something that I don't think any of the writers who created Edie like considered. But so Edie is super concerned with like sin and God and monsters. And I don't know if it's ever explicitly stated if she like is Christian. And if that's the case, like it's because of colonization, which is a whole other. And and like she was gonna be burned at the stake because she's a witch yeah i think it's supposed to be like a reference to like she's supposed to be like the new generation storm yeah which instead of you know fixing the racist problems with storm's origin they just doubled down yeah it definitely comes off as very like oh look at this weird person from africa she's tribal like they don't know what mutants are there and it's very othering in a bad way yeah so basically yeah. she's treated like i think it was a youtuber who came up with the the concept of uh the born sexy yesterday <laughs> trope where like you know she's pretty she's beautiful and also she's like a baby yeah also she's supposed to be 14 she's supposed to be the youngest of the group but in generation hope She's consistently drawn, not that, looking just like the other, like, 16, 17, 18-year-olds and not- It's teen girl comic disease. Yeah. Yeah. The art in Generation Hope is also, like, not good. (laughs) Like, consistently just not great. But that's that's where she comes from. And so there's this exhibit and Transonic is like, we're gonna go, like, learn about mutant history, which would be- Fine and good if it wasn't also othering of generic Africa. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because, like, again, she's vaguely hinted at that she's, like, from Nigeria or some fake place that's like Nigeria, but doesn't acknowledge that there is society and, like, different nations and cultures in Africa. Lots of them, actually. And, like, not everyone in Africa is living in, like a hovel and like has never seen the yeah, world I, or whatever I think they literally rescue her from like huts it's bad mm, yeah it's not great um but anyway so laurie takes her to this museum to learn about mutant history and and kay kilgore and his new tyke hellfire club attack and oya is like the only person there that can do anything about this bomb and Logan is is en route, and Scott tells her to do what she thinks she needs to do. Like, telepathically. Yeah. And what that is, is she lets the bomb go off and kills people. And Logan is like, children shouldn't kill people. Scott, that's bad. I'm gonna go. And that's the schism. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, like, that happens... And that's the event. And then there's also a sentinel that tries to attack Asteroid M slash Utopia. Yeah, and the kids are going to fight it. And Logan is like, kids shouldn't fight. Deuces. Bye. <laughs> it's, it's, not ve- it's not very good. None of this is very good in, like, retrospect. Like, at And that's all. the event that literally just continued to go until last month. And Uncanny X-Men number 11. <laughs> you know that that's, you know that Schism lasted basically that long, right? I don't like that. <laughs> it's, it's wild for sure. It's super wild. And so basically, like, the issue I have with it is that it, like, isn't 
like I I like the idea of Logan being like so old that he's finally like I'm done. Not even I'm done, but just kind of like children shouldn't have to live like this. Like that's mm-hmm. no, that's really I think that's part of the message that I really. But it's not earned like, in any way, shape, or form. No. And part of no. the event that's like not explored at all, but just kind of is there, is that Logan is an Avenger now, and so like it's you know what it was. Jason Aaron wanted Wolverine and the X-Men to happen. Yeah. So it was like, how can we get there? Because Jason Aaron was the one that wrote X-Men Schism. And I assume then... Well, I'm sure his pitch for Wolverine and the X-Men involves pitching Schism. Yes. Yes. yes that's what I mean. And he, he wrote the, the main issues. So like... It's like, okay, how can I get these people and get them back involved? It's just like the the actual stuff that happens is very bad. And honestly, like, I only read like the first couple issues of Generation Hope, but I don't think in retrospect it's that great either. Generation Hope. <laughs> to be fair, <laughs> the Generation Hope creative team does not share all the responsibility for creating ID. Part of that was also on Matt Fraction because it happened in Uncanny mm-hmm. X-Men. Mm-hmm. I think it happened in the same Uncanny X-Men issue where they forecasted Wanda coming back. Also, is the giant size like I can't remember. It was the launch of the heroic age. Yeah. It, yeah. <laughs> well, and it was a round number, too, because it was a big Well, deal. yeah, because I Uncanny X-Men didn't renumber like it continued to go. So it had to have been like 400 something. Yeah, whatever it was. But Generation Hope has its own issues with um, racial politics that are not great. And is like largely forgettable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I yeah. think that part of that is, though, that it's because the other characters in Generation Hope don't really have a place after Generation Hope. Yep. Like we saw yeah. Velocidad in Uncanny 11, but like that's kind of it. Also, and it's hinted at multiple times, and, like, I had forgotten about this, but it makes me, like, super uncomfortable. Like, Hope had some low-level, like, mental control over all of the lights, too, mm-hmm. which is, like, just kind of there. Like, it's mentioned that it might be a bad thing, because, as Scott says at one point, he says, the kids will start to notice and chafe against the yoke. I'm paraphrasing, but that's, like, what he says to, to I think, Kitty who's eventually named as their, like, liaison. And it's like, yeah, you know, if I was under low-level telepathic control to make me stay in a team, I would be kind of angry, too. Yeah. I mean, and that's, also- like, that's also just, like, not Scott for me. Like, Scott yeah. would be like, yeah, this fucking sucks. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, I wonder how much of our sort of read on scott is also affected by like what comes out of schism and like what comes ultimately out of avengers versus X-Men. yeah yeah i feel like i feel that too because like as much as i think xavier is kind of the worst and like that scott summers did nothing wrong um <laughs> i don't think that i think that without sort of who he became after schism he wouldn't have like sort of i think seen how bad some of the bad is if that makes sense no i agree because like after avengers versus x-men is finally when you sort of see scott really like at least to my knowledge and i'm not 
the most well-versed in, like, general X-Men history from, like, the 90s to, like, 2013. Um, He's never, like, really explicitly, like, you know, being raised and manipulated by telepaths is actually a really shitty thing. Let's not do that. Yeah. 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 Like, I I think that so much of what I thought was interesting or what I think is interesting about Scott, like, came from, like, the, like, everything after Schism. So, like, it, it served a function and I think it moved Scott's story forward. I just don't think I like the trappings of how we got there. Yeah. I, I don't like... I don't think the schism, like, I don't think it makes sense in the big grand scheme of things. I don't yeah. think that argument makes a lot of sense, especially for Logan, who, while he's teaching at the school, is on a murder squad. Um, I don't think that the Avengers vs. X-Men is good at all, um, save for, like, maybe the, when... The main book is not, for sure. Save for, like, maybe when Scott, like, goes Dark Phoenix and, like, literally lets all of his trauma out at charles xavier yeah also also there's a part where hope is it like in antarctica and she puts yes. like a breadcrumb trail of beer cans to <laughs> get logan to follow them yes. to talk to her that is also good but the rest of that is like a mess um yes. scott avengers versus x-men gave me my favorite issue of x-men of all time so i can't really complain a whole bunch yeah no well, it, it's, it's true yeah, so for me, it's a very uneven book, is the, the problem. Oh, yeah, no, no, no. Avengers vs. X-Men is a terrible book. It just gave me the the Passion of Scott Summers, which is, like, the one of the most yeah, no. well-written comics I've ever read. Yeah, that's super good, but uh, there's a lot of reasons why AVX was bad, um, and why it's so, like, tonally inconsistent, as well as narratively inconsistent. Part of it was because they went through, like, the literal ringer on writers there were like five or six writers on that book because mm-hmm. people kept dropping out or because they had planned it all the way i don't know i don't like, know bendis was the main writer and then they brought fraction and also and jason aaron and like there were other people that chipped in and so like and, it ends up and not literally that like Wolverine and the X-Men, like, the book we're ultimately going to be talking about, the AVX part lasts, like, 80 years in this, <laughs> in this book. Like, I think Wolverine is... and the X-Men was the only consistent, like, was the only book that didn't change a writer through that whole process. I think, though. yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. It just, like, if you had, not, if you were not reading it, avx at the time and you were reading this book only what the fuck like yeah, um, so that was confused. how i read it i didn't like <laughs> you did i didn't mode. follow like i didn't follow well because i was reading it like in a trade like it's not like i could go and yeah it wasn't like i was pulling those issues con- like congruently and so it just yeah. it just kind of like shrugged and was like okay I guess this sure. is happening. Yeah. I guess the original five X-Men are back now, etc. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. um so I just looked up so the whole story with the lights starts, if for whatever reason you're curious, in Uncanny X-Men number five twenty six, and then ID's introduced in five twenty eight, 
where it is stated that she is from Delta State, Nigeria, which is a state, not a city. Um, so I don't know what's like, you know, it's just this region. She's from anywhere in this region. Anywhere in this region. Pick a place. Yep. And and she's definitely like shown to be in like huts in the jungle. <laughs> I'm just making noises because that's like all I can yeah, do. Yeah, sorry. I I had to I had to look it up because I was curious. Um, and that is written by by Matt Fraction. Um, not not his finest work, shall we say? <sighs> no, no. But <laughs> but yeah. So all of this. Sorry if this is a lot. This this might we might as well title this episode "Prelude to Wolverine and the X Men" at this point. Yeah. Um, because there's, there's a lot. There's, there's a, a lot, lot of continuity. There's a lot of con. con- uh, there's a lot of continuity going around, and like if yeah, yeah. So we've gotten in order to, to like, understand Quentin, you know. So we've gotten to like why Scott and Logan break up. What uh? Do we want to just explain the rest of the the weird context things that might be needed to go into Wolverine and the X Men? Like feel, uh Evan Evan <laughs> Savonor. Yeah. Yes. yes. Also Evan. Right. Uh we already talked Let about Let me tell Quentin. you about my sweet baby boy. Yeah, go for it. Get it go so, go off, Mikey. Uh and maybe we should I think we should talk let's talk about Evan and Angel in this book in Wolverine and the X-Men, both kind of come out of Rick Remender's Uncanny X Force. It was a modern revival of the X-Force brand, shall we say. I mean, is it really a revival? A revival because X-Force was like running through Second Coming and... It was like him trying to rebrand X-Force as dark and gritty. Craig Kyle and Chris Frios did that. They're the ones who broke it. Yeah, no, because I tried to read, I tried to read Remder's X-Force, and then I was like, I don't understand anything that's fucking going on. So then I went back and read the the Kyle and Yost ones. Um, they broke it. Yeah. They broke it. They took it out of a, out of its box, where it was sitting peacefully, nice on the shelf, um, and they opened it up, and then they broke it all, and then they glued it back together with really bad super glue, and said, this is what X-Force is now. Um, have some glitter. Bye. Sorry, I'm bitter about it. Here's the thing. Yost and Kyle were like, okay, how do we, how do we Batman Begins X-Force? Yep. And they did that, and uh, then I am assuming Remder tried to make an interesting book out of that. Yeah, no, that's basically that's basically what happened. Yeah, the uh, Yost and Kyle X Force is like among one of the things I, I I dislike extremely a lot, and not just because I'm who I am, but because I think it does a disservice to a lot of the characters. It's got this really gross like sex thing between Nina and Logan. It's not good. I don't like it. It's also bad terrain. <laughs> it's also very bad terrain in which she left the book she had been in to be in that book and then came back to that other book with like trauma and problems and did a lot of bad things over there. But Mikey, why don't you tell us about <laughs> All right. So so amidst there's kind of like like apocalypse storyline in Remender's Uncanny X-Force and 
a lot of things happen in that. But one of the best things is that Phantom X, which I'm not going to bo- bother That's trying to explain Morrison. Phantom X. Yeah. Phantom X Phantom X is a French assassin in a white trench coat. Let's just leave it at that. So he finds these clones of Apocalypse. And he gets it in his head that he is going to take one of them, rescue them, because they're just kids, and teach them how to be good. Um, Because Phantom X is a, he in of himself was created by Weapon X, I believe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Weapon Plus. Yeah, right. Of course. How could I forget? A a Weapon X adjacent program, let's say. (laughs) And... Never got the chance to have, like, a normal childhood and stuff. So he takes one of these clones and he puts them in a snow globe pocket universe called the world. Yes. And says, I don't think that uh, Apocalypse or his clones are inherently bad. I think I can give them a proper childhood. And so he becomes Uncle Phantom X. Yep. And gives this kid, who eventually becomes Evan Sabanor, a childhood akin to that of a great hero of the people, which is just Superman, (laughs) with the serial numbers filed off. Literally. They're on a farm. In Kansas. In Kansas. Kansas. Yeah, in Kansas. They play baseball together. Um, Deadpool comes in sometimes, and Deadpool becomes Evan's Uncle Wade, which is probably Evan and Deadpool, and then later Deadpool's uh, daughter, Allie. Like, their whole relationship and family dynamic is probably one of my favorite things Deadpool's ever been involved in. Then somebody starts trying to, like, get at Evan and Deadpool, like, helps him, and, and they develop a whole family, and Evan is basically like, I don't want to be evil, I don't want to be an evil apocalypse child, and... Well, that's, and this is, this is, circle back around, this is the, the entire Dokken thing, because that's when, like, this entire arc, like, is when, like, Dokken and Omega Red and the Shadow King, like, try, kidnap Evan, and they try and make yeah. him be evil, and then... Wolverine ends up drowning like Dokken in a puddle. Like that's the entire thing. Yeah. Uh it's so it's not good. It'd be like yeah. that sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> and and so then Wolverine and Deadpool come to an agreement that that Evan will go to the Xavier school because he's no longer safe in the world or in this pocket universe. And also I think like Evan also makes the decision for himself that he wants to have a real life. Like he finds out kind of that this whole life that he's had has been a farce and he's like i kind you know like i appreciate that but also i think i want to be a real boy now so that's the short question mark version of how <laughs> he gets to um to the school but he's he and it's funny because then like nobody trusts him like as we'll get into like when we actually talk about it proper like no one trusts him because he looks like apocalypse but he's actually just a sweetheart um cotton candy he's just a good corn-fed kansas boy that's true (laughs) that just happens to be a clone of one of the most powerful and dangerous mutants of all time it's fine it's fine that's totally normal also like looks nothing like other than the lips and skin like has none of apocalypse's physique (laughs) 
so far he stre- yet. He can stretch. He can stretch it though. He's good. He's good with the stretch. It's fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. But he's not like a big muscle boy. He's no. a skinny. No, he's a baby. Dork. Yeah, he's a baby. Yeah. He's a baby. Call nine one one. He hasn't like um. He's he's a late bloomer, shall we say? That's fine. That happens to happens to the best of yeah, us. Yeah, and he comes with another X Force reject. <laughs> I mean, they're all rejects to me, except for the proper X Force team. But you know, we won't go there. Um, yeah, that's Angel or Archangel or Warren Kenneth Worthington the <laughs> third. Um, yeah. Who's also so what's going on mess. with him, Charlie? Uh, well, in Rick Remender's Uncanny X-Force, uh, the Dark Angel saga told a story about how since Warren was the original horseman of Apocalypse, um, he, I believe, either got infected with the Death Seed or just continu- continually slid oh God, into Death, death Seeds. Yeah, let's Wait, not- what? Mm-mm. The what? Yeah, okay. Um, we're glossing over that. Don't worry about it right now. It's um, a seed of death. death. Yeah. Um, and he just like had that in his stomach like a watermelon seed. Yeah. Basically, basically, question mark. Um, <laughs> Was he just like slowly die? Like, <laughs> no, no, no. Anyway. I mean, you're not wrong. That's the thing. Like, you are actually, through your guessing, getting somewhat close to the truth. Anyway. Anyway, um, it was. it's unclear whether or not the Death Seed and or Apocalypse's um, uh, previous machinations pushed Warren further into this Apocalypse persona, um, but he, con- he started to become more Apocalypse-like and then decided that he was going to um, basically take over the world. And Isn't some of it like like his trauma from being uh, yes, uh turned into like, death. Yeah. Yeah. From being um death as a horseman like started to yeah. become unearthed also and like yeah. warp his mind or something. Yeah. Like basically and he um started to become super evil and this is all like Spark Notes version. Oh um, I see. So he he had a death seed of apocalypse so that he yes. could become apocalypse two point Correct. I see. You got I it? See. Yeah. yeah. So that started to manifest, and then he decided he wanted to take over the world, and then he decided, um, since him and Betsy were in a relationship at the time, that he wanted Betsy to be with him forever, and made her death, and she was death for, like, a little bit, and then it got really upsetting, and then she um, decided to save the world. She had to kill the man that she loved, so she stabbed him in the head with a psychic knife, and... Um, it was bad. And then he, like, reverted back to not knowing who he was and thought he was a real angel. The end. Okay, but so how did he get the, how did he get the, the, the life powers? He just had it. I don't know. Well, I think that was, like, that's, like, part of Apocalypse's, Yeah, like, that's a part of Apocalypse's thing. Like, oh, power set. Okay. Yeah. I'm not entirely sure. Like he has like this whole like bringing people back to life, accelerating development kind of deal. Okay. Yeah, like tabula rasa bullshit. Okay. Yeah. In a thing that I really hate, Apocalypse was partially responsible for the acceleration of the development of like the Egyptian people. Right. Right. It's not good. Right. Because a blue man has to be, yep. 
Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Instead mm-hmm. of aliens, it's a mutant out of time that's incredibly intelligent. Yeah. Also, mm-hmm. like, he he was from Egypt, but he's never drawn like he's from Egypt. Well, if he was drawn like he was from Egypt, then they couldn't have cast Oster- Oscar Isaac as him. Yeah, that's a whole mm-hmm. that's a whole mm-hmm. thing. I, I will say, any fan artist that draws uh, Evan with natural hair looking like he's actually Egyptian is a god's gift. Braver than any U.S. Marine. <laughs> well, did you? Well, did you see the really cute? Like it was at the. It was like near the end of um, Duggan's run with Deadpool, where like Evan was in one of the stories, and like like Strife was basically threatening Deadpool. In order for his daughter to live, like, he had to, like, do all these, like, these, like, five, like, terrible things. Oh, he had to do Hercules labors. The five labors of Deadpool. Yeah, like, one of them, (laughs) one of them was, like, killing Evan, like, had to, like, kill Evan. Um, but Wade instead, like, depowered him. Yeah. Um, and the way that he was, like, drawn there was actually really cute. Yeah, no, it was good. Uh, anyway. I just mean, like, pretty much any fan art that draws art of Wolverine and the X-Men, like, at this point, like, is, like, fuck how, like, he's drawn as, like, this extremely, like, anime, floppy-haired kid, and they're, like, that's, doesn't, like, that's, it literally doesn't make sense. Like, at least Apocalypse's excuse is that he's got this weird bald head, (laughs) or, like, maybe he (laughs) shaves it, but, like. I'm interested, like, I'm I'm interested in Apocalypse's sex cult. Um, an Age of X fan. <laughs> um, That's gonna be interesting. Sure it, it's sure mostly it interesting because his son is, like, also there, and I'm, like, concerned. Well, that's, that's like, supposed to be Evan, I think. It is. Yeah. All right. Well, well I mean, I say sex cult, and I, that's, I just say well, it no, as I, a I mean, I know, like, Evan isn't Apocalypse's son, it's just, like, it's, that's how he's treated in the comics, and so, like, it's weird for me that, like, if it's... We know it's Apocalypse's sex cult, so why is there a I child mean, we don't there? really know that it's like that. Yeah, that's Charlie's, that's that's, Charlie's joke. That's my well, joke. No, yeah. it's a sex cult. <laughs> we'll, we'll have to see. It's a sex um, cult. I'm, Reed, we'll have to see. <laughs> um, in any case, Angel's deal in Wolverine and the X-Men is really weird, and uh, you should probably read the Dark Angel saga. It's actually pretty good. Yeah, um, also also the part with, like, Evan's introduction is yeah. also pretty uh, good. So basically the Dark Angel Saga and the Apocalypse Solution, you should read both of those because they are pretty good comics, which I had. <laughs> I I held the omnibus of Rick Remender's Uncanny X-Force yeah, in my hands. Yeah, did we want to talk about that when, um, s- when someone tried to uh, mansplain X-Force to you <laughs> at the Fairfax Mall. I don't like that. Charlie's visiting me, and it was... It was, like, Labor Day or something? Mm -hmm. So there was, like, a sale at the comic book store at the mall. Charlie and I like to go to the mall when we're visiting each other. Sometimes you just gotta do it. Sometimes you just gotta go to the mall. And so we went to this comic book store, and, like, we started, like, getting into, like, this part of like because we had just been reading uh a lot of this stuff so we were talking about it 
when when we saw the book on the shelf and then yeah and then i had uh this omnibus in my hands that i was just picking up because omnibuses are heavy as we were talking about it as you're talking about it and this man was like have you read that have you read x-force and i'm like (laughs) (laughs) you're like how dare you stand where shatterstar once stood (laughs) (laughs) basically the thing is, I think this man legitimately thought that X-Force was Rick Remander's uncanny yes. X-Force. No doubt. Absolutely no. No no doubt in my mind. Yikes. And I'm like, you like you, you stand on the shoulder of kings. What are you doing? I don't doing? think you answered him. I think you just got set it down and wa- walked we walked away. out of the store. I did. I did. I'm like, I can't. I can't do this. I cannot do this. The worst right comic book store interaction that I've ever like I wasn't witness to it, but it happened to my wife. She was like in Newbury Comics and like looking at a volume of Squirrel Girl and this guy next to her just said, Girl superheroes are so overrated. Holy <laughs> shit. <laughs> I mean, my wife is amazing and immediately responded with, did I fucking ask you? But like, I hate comic book stores. The comic book store that I go to here at my in my home where I'm safe is good because I walked in and I was like, um, like they mark me every time I go in there. Like I, I, I do have a pull where there was somebody like there, like new working, mm-hmm. and I went in to like go get the new Mutants Dead Souls trade, and I was like, oh, I could I couldn't find it on the shelf because it was like the last one, um, and I'm like, hey, do you have you know new Mutants Dead Souls? The trade came out, and I'm like, oh, like yeah, let me help you look for it, and like he pulled it off the shelf and he handed it to me, and he said, you know, there's a Shatterstar miniseries you might like, and I'm Aww. like, oh. I think this is after we'd already done the interview, too. Yeah, I was like, "Mm, yes. (laughs) There's... Trying to be helpful. Yes. My comic book shop isn't, like, bad. It just... The men who run it, like... Every time I try to order a comic, they're like, well, why would you want to order a comic? And it's like, do you not know how your business works? Because I want to spend my money here. What the fuck is wrong with you? Like, do you not know how your business works? Like, I no, have actually. to order the comic books that I want to read so that they continue to make them. Because yeah, there's I... no other way. <laughs> there's no other way. There is literally no other way for me to try and convince Marvel that, like, I want to read a book about Shatterstar. Yeah. Right? I I do the so I used to have a book. I'm sorry, uh Phantom Comics in DC is like one of the best shops. Um, but I was a bad person and didn't go to pick up my books at one point and now I can never set foot in there again. Um because it I didn't realize that having a 20 minute commute to my comic book store, even though it was it's the amazing and the best comic book store ever was like something that was untenable for me mentally Mm -hmm. um so now i just order like they have like a service where um like you can order through comiXology but like they still get the credit because they have like a comiXology storefront so that's just what i that's how i subscribe is through that storefront 
And that's how I buy all my books. If there's books that I really like want to make sure that I get, I usually just pre-order them from things from another world. Yeah, I just I cannot have any more comic books manifesting in my house physically. <laughs> same, same. We were talking about this like earlier today. Yeah. I literally am um, at critical mass of all types of books. I I was looking for um like I have a couple issues of Batwoman detective comics that I was missing and I was looking for them and then I went home over Christmas and realized there was an entire box of comics that is still at my parents' house that is not here so like there's even more waiting for me. But yeah, I can't get any more floppies, so I just get them all digitally and that's easier for me to read anyway. Yeah. That's just be- that's just better in general. I'm like sitting on the precipice of like all of my comics like that are in this drawer here and I'm just like, well, I could just pull them all out. Um yeah. but because like, I end up buying I really comics care about a, book, a bunch of times. Yeah, if I end up caring about a book a lot, I'll buy the physical trade, but other than that. Yeah. yeah. I buy digitally, and sometimes I'll buy the floppies if I'm feeling it, and then sometimes, like, I like to try and support comics by pre-ordering them. Like, that is important to me. Um, Yeah. So I end up buying a bunch of times. I love things. I like to have things. I love all those, um, I love all the covers for all the, like, for Shatterstar. So I'm like, I need to physically own these. I must physically own this. Yeah. So that, that being said, if you comics are also extremely expensive, the especially like big two, like yeah. DC is a little bit more affordable. Yeah, but it adds up. So like if you like superheroes but can't afford comics and instead listen to podcasts about them or what have you, you are also valid. valid. Yes. Very valid. Big valid. Extremely big, valid. Big even. valid. I just want to say that like just because like it superhero comics. Uh, weirdly enough, puts you in this weird cycle where you feel like you have to buy more and more stuff to be part of, like, to know what all your fans yes. are doing. And that is, that is in and of itself a marketing tactic. Yes. And I, you know, in an ideal world, it wouldn't cost like $50 a month to know what is going on in all of the things, but that's where we're at. And so. you know what? Mm-hmm. While we're on the topic, if there's stuff that your faves are in that you don't want to read, you don't have to read them. Yeah, like you don't true. have to spend the money like just true like i really dislike the and this again ties into the whole you have to purchase the things like the completionist sort of attitude that like comics fandom has where it's like unless you're reading all of these things it's not you're unless you're reading and buying all of these comic books you're not like a real fan or whatever and like that's that's so dumb which is hell you know it's hilarious because you were talking about like reading Wolverine and the X-Men in trades, Marvel makes it damn near impossible if you're not buying floppies at the time things are coming out to read entire events. Yes. There are no like omnibus collections of all the tie-ins to events, which I think is miserable. Yes. Like even on their app, they make it tear like even on the Marvel app, they make it impossible to read. And DC isn't much Mm -hmm. better. And it's so, so frustrating because, like, even if you wanted to give them money, like, there's no easy way to be like, I want to read Civil War. Let me read all the tie-ins to Civil War. Don't do that. I did Don't it do once. That. It was bad. Uh, but if you wanted to do that, there's no Don't. easy way to yeah. just press a button and get all the things. You're like, and I that- would like to read this in order, please. Oh, I can't do that. Bye. 
last summer or last spring, I like when I was first diving into like reading all of the X-Men comics that I could get my hands on, like I read I think Second Coming and I was like talking to my wife like I really liked this event. This was really good. And she was like, oh, well, why don't we just pick up the like the trade next time we're in the comic book shop? And I like had to explain to her that you can't do that. Yeah, because it's like. It's in it's uncanny X Factor X Force, the second coming miniseries itself, like mm-hmm. it's not you just can't it's not that simple. <laughs> yeah. No, and it's it's a damn shame because like what that ends up meaning too is then like trades are good for like collected volumes are good for for single runs. But like some of my favorite parts of like um like I I do really Siege is one of my favorite events. And part of that is because there's a lot of micro stories that were like side stories. Like there's one called siege embedded where it's just like two reporters like normal ass reporters being like who the fuck are all these like norse gods that have just descended on what was it like biloxi mississippi or something or something like that yeah if i got that wrong i'm sorry it's some like it's 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 oklahoma it's somewhere in oklahoma i think okay um wherever it is um they just descend on this town and so these like local ass news reporters are like who the fuck is volstag who is that and so they just like follow volstag around and feed him hamburgers and he tells the story of all of the things that he's been through and it is like one of the best things but in order to do get that and like see how that fits into the rest of siege you would have to buy that and then buy all the other siege stuff Mm -hmm. and that sucks there's no way to just be like okay this is where this slots in yeah. yeah, but yeah, but I mean, we've we've driven off the road and down into the valley yeah. of comic books. In any case, <laughs> comic books are weird, and I love them, but they're weird. Yeah. So, so we've got we've got some some major players. So we'll we'll go in next time into like the first six or so issues of wolverine and the x-men and kind of like yeah but hopefully this has been some good um context for what's going on the main thing is schism yeah i hope that this podcast makes sense to like whoever is listening (laughs) to it because i don't think it makes sense to me and i just did it yeah well it's okay um it's schism's fault schism's fault yeah Yeah. the schism's fault and the moving there's there's so many moving parts like going into this like you have to know who quentin is you probably should know who evan is what's going on with angel not sure why why (laughs) scott and wolverine fighting they're upset like that i mean i still don't know how kitty pride got from being a uh missed woman to being substantial again but that's you know that's a great question Like no. in Generation Hope, she was in a fucking spacesuit, and then in issue one of Wolverine the X Men, she's in a a skirt suit. Kate Kilgore. And also and Kate and Kate Kilgore. No, no, yeah, no. I'm no. saying that Kate Kilgore probably demissed her. Oh, no, yeah, probably also, something. Yeah, so something like that. I'll just give you I'll give you a rundown and we'll do this again next week. A rundown of who is at the school going into Wolverine and the X-Men. So we've got Wolverine as the headmaster and Kitty Pride as the headmistress. Um, 
Beast is the vice principal. He's not really a vice principal at all. I don't know why he even has that role. Um, Gambit is a senior staff member, which if that doesn't scare you, I don't know what will. Does Gambit even show up in... In the background. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He's the worst teacher ever. Rachel Gray is a senior staff member. She does show up quite a bit. Rogue is a senior staff member. Iceman. Cannonball is junior staff. Chamber. Husk. Karma. As all as junior staff. Frenzy as adjunct staff. Dupe. Which we as don't adju- see her once in this book. No. She's just Do we the- see Karma either? I don't I think so. I don't think so. I think we might see her like once in the background of a panel. We'll have an um, ongoing we should make a list of all of these people and like tally if yeah, they ever like, show up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I like that idea. Um Dupe as adjunct staff. Dupe probably gets the most visibility out of like any of these characters, <laughs> honestly. It's a whole issue and it's great. Yeah, it's yeah, good. Dupe is the best X-Man, honestly. Um, and then Toad is the janitor, which there's a whole lot going on with Toad, and none of it is good. Yeah. And then for students, we've got Armor, uh, Anal, Blindfold, Bling, Brew, Cypher, Ernst. <laughs> yeah, I don't know who that is. <laughs> I mean, Ernst is a, is a new X-Men person. Oh, yeah, 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 that's right. That's right. I've never read New X-Men. <laughs> the way they've got her drawn in this um, breakdown of all the characters is A, not very good. B, it's like the contented emoji with more forehead wrinkles. So you can see why I was confused there. Um, oh, gender's not real anyway. That's who she- I know now. <laughs> It's yeah. not New X-Men with Surge. It's Morrison's New X-Men. She's New X-Men. from the, the special class. Correct. Along with yeah. Martha, the brain. Yeah. The no girl. Thing. Yeah. Yeah, no girl. Yeah. 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 So we've got also Gentle. Um, who doesn't I, show up. Is this a, who doesn't, doesn't show, show up, up at all. But you I can think catch an X-Men like, Red if you want to read about Gentle. Yeah. They, like, reintroduce him in X-Men Red. Glob Herman, Gray Malkin, Hellion, Indra, Clid- Kid Gladiator, Kid Omega, Match, who I also don't think ever shows up, Mercury, Oya, Rockslide, Trance, and then as like an other, we have Warboard, the Shi'ar Bodyguard, who is not a student, but is probably more present than some hey, of y'all. these students. I want to get something in live to this podcast, but Spider-Verse just won an Oscar. Yay! Yeah! Best animated? Uh, I think so. The only way I found out is a server I'm in made a whole channel that's called Did Spider-Verse Win? And it just says yes. Yes. Yes, it did. Yep. Yep, it won. Mm-hmm. Good. Thank God. All right, so oh, yeah. yeah. That's a good note to wrap up on. Yeah, in any case, uh, there's a bunch of stuff going on in this book, and half of those characters you just mentioned don't show up once. So nope. uh, yeah. let's continue to think about that as we go forward. <laughs> yeah, that'll be... The diverse ones don't show up unless you're... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which... She has her own issues. <laughs> Let's say. Love that. 
Love that. Mm, love that. Yeah. Okay. In well, any we'll case. We'll be talking a lot about, like, this is, again, and in keeping with this podcast and with comics in general, I have a lot of affection for this book personally, but I also am more than happy to talk about and break down the many issues it has. It's it's one of those things where I pick out the good parts, but I do not I try not to ignore the bad parts because some of the bad parts are real bad, real bad, especially in a teen book. Um, yeah, very not good. Yeah. It, and so, especially like at the time it, it sh- it's showing its age. There's a whole arc that honestly, like w- w- we'll talk about how we want to cover that. But there there's like whole arcs of this book that like were of their time and absolutely i don't even think could be published now yeah because there's Mm -hmm. there's one book there's one arc that goes into characters like basically being nazis yeah in all but name and and it isn't good but like at the same time there's some really good character moments and and i think there's a lot to like but that's that's what we do with the young ones we we take some of our favorite teen books and we break them down into what what we like and what we think could have been done better because i think going through our own favorite media or media that we enjoyed critically is important i think holding our favorites accountable is more so important than holding things we don't like accountable yeah yeah agreed but like anything you take the good you take the bad you take them both and that's when you get the facts of life. So the great TV philosopher taught me that. Um, <laughs> Thank you for that. Yeah, sorry. I'm having a, I'm having a bleed moment. Um, but in any way, shape, or form, we're talking about that next time. But there's something you can do for me. If you really like our podcast, you could probably go over to iTunes and write and review our show. There are star buttons there. Click them. Give us five stars. And maybe write something nice. If you like what's going on. If you don't, I I don't know why you're here. You know what? Let's make this fun. Okay, so if you want to go and review us on iTunes, you have to write write our review like a like a comic book pitch. <laughs> like, like get get weird with it. Yeah, read throwing down the gauntlet. But keep it nice. Keep it nice. Do do what you do. Make it weird. This there's a podcast I listen to that has like a a weekly challenge of like it's a literary podcast and so every week they tell them to let they tell people to review based in like one style of fiction or another so like oh, that's cool yeah I like, that. I like that yeah do some yeah do something cool do something cool if you like the podcast let us know um you can let us know there that would be greatly appreciated or you can let us know on twitter at young ones cast uh where you can tweet and tweets will happen because that's what twitter does or you can email us at youngwinscast at gmail.com. Maybe especially if you found Mikey's lost fan fiction notebook. Um, <laughs> you can find me at Genetic Ghost on Twitter, where you can find um, all the stuff that I do. Uh, this week, I will be having a um, review out there for Extremist Number 1, which comes out on Wednesday. Depending on when this podcast goes up, it is not Wednesday now. Um, so maybe you can check that out. Um, every Tuesday night, I publish a comic book newsletter called The Pull uh, with Reed and their wife, Samantha. And you should take a look at it. We work hard on it. And that goes out every Tuesday. Um, I do bits and bobs of other things around the internet. Um, 
read my bio. It's got all my informa- good information in it. Um, that's just what I'm doing. So I'm going to choose. I'll choose you, Reed. You can go next. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, I was like mid-yawn. Uh, so uh, you can find me on Twitter at ARMustDie, or you can find the newsletter that I do with Charlie and my wife, Samantha, uh, at It's the Poll on twitter.com mm-hmm. and i probably lurk on other corners of the internet but you can also find that through my twitter handle i was gonna call it a doobly-doo uh also I'm, that but toss it over to mikey now to close us out yeah so if you don't know my spiel and haven't heard it before uh i am a tabletop role-playing game designer as well as graphic designer and broadcaster um you can find my work on twitter at quantum dot dot as well as at quantum dot dot space been kind of in a weird place lately been focusing on more paid work than personal projects but i hope to get back to personal projects sometime soon so yeah that's that's me i've been doing logo work which is exciting yeah let mikey make your stuff graphic design is mikey's passion but in a good way Yeah. It's one of those things where it's like, you know, like there is a lot of stuff tangled up with making your passion, like something that you make money from. Also, oh, I was but... just making a joke about that frog meme. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Valid. Oh, Mikey got real good at making live journal icons way back in the day. <laughs> that's, and that's now he can do logos and now he can do yeah. logos real good. So you should hire him. That's how we all learned how to do graphic design. That's that, that informs signatures. Yes, yeah. Do it. Yeah. Just do it. Do it. It's fine. And it's good. And you should pay Mikey to do things for you. Um, also, if, uh, if you did have a form signature back in the day and you remember what it is, feel free to let us know at Young Ones Cast on Twitter. <laughs> oh, my your God. Form yes. signature was from. Yeah, yes, please. please. Please share your forum signatures with us. Yeah. Please share your AIM usernames also um, if you're into it. I, I think my form signature was either like Half-Life or Night's Old Republic. God. I mean, that tracks. That tracks, That's Mikey. so good. <laughs> my forum signatures, because the only forums I were on were Twilight forums, were uh, little buttons for fix that I really liked. Oh, that's nice. That also tracks. That also yeah. tracks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what about you, Charlie? I... The only forum that I was on for a substantial period of time was a green day message board yeah that tracks (laughs) (laughs) and um i'm pretty sure um i didn't know how to make signatures so i didn't have (laughs) oh did you not did you not even have like text wait no no no. i've got our prompt for the listeners make charlie a forum signature and tweet it (laughs) to us for 2019 for yeah 2019. and since we're in 2019 you can even make it like a gif so um you know i had gif blingy. forum signatures they were just like those little live journal icons that you know loaded like one text word at a time yeah yeah but i'm just saying we can we can get wild it's 2019 we have the, tech- we have the technology <laughs> yeah so let's make Charlie a form signature for the form signature that they never had. 
challenge you. <laughs> yes. Believe in you. Yes, 2019 and our ships are back. Reed, thank you. Um, in any case, uh, we still don't have an outro. Maybe now Reed's here. We can come up with one. I really think that the, the outro should just be don't glitter your cat. <laughs> I mean, you don't glitter your first. Folks. I mean, don't glitter your cat, but like. Don't glitter oh. your cat and don't turn in. Don't do a bunch of drugs and turn into mist. Yeah, I like that one. Don't do kick. Yeah. Don't do kick. Don't do kick. Yep. Yep. That's don't it. eat All a right. death scene. Right. Don't do kick. Right. Bye, everyone. Bye. 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 Bye.